0: Did you miss Canty and Carlin?
1: It's Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, where we brag about who did the worst in college. You can call in. Give us your GPA. 888-SAY-ESPN, presented by Progressive Insurance. She's Courtney Cronin. I'm not going to ask her. I'm sure she was a 4-0 student. I'm Matt Jones, Transylvania University alum in Lexington, Kentucky. Courtney, where did you go to college?
2: Went to Indiana University.
1: Oh, that's why you were taken up for the Hoosier. See, I didn't know that. We were talking. See,
2: I thought you were setting me up for that because uh, you knew. That was
1: great. For those of you that missed the first hour, we were talking about is Miami a blue blood in college football? And I was like, they're kind of like Indiana in basketball. They're not a blue blood. And Courtney got kind of riled up. I was like, you care about Indiana? Now I understand you are a Hoosier. You like the candy
2: cane pants. I do. I have a pair of them. But I also will tell you that my GPA was not great. It wasn't 0.8. After my freshman year but um i too was uh riding the chris carlin path towards academic probation there for a minute but i got right. it turned around i got it well, turned around thank you guys thank you appreciate that
1: one of us did well in school and i'm proud of it and that is me <laughs> you're if the you lawyer missed, on the show so i <laughs> mean like all
2: i the, have uh, is a bachelor's degree if you
1: missed the first hour check out the canny carlin podcast wherever you get your podcast wherever they have those i'm sure they'll have this one I I don't know about you. I, I like to, to gamble a little bit. I like to throw the money around on 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 sports. And uh, college football, to me, is the best sport to bet on because weeks two and three, you can make a lot of money. For those of you playing at home, whatever happens in week one, gamblers overreact to, you can make a killing on wait, week two and three. To me, it's the only way you can make money gambling on football. But... The reason there's money to be made is because there's a lot of stupid people at gamble, Courtney. A lot of people don't know what they're doing, and they put money on dumb things. And the latest is the news coming out of Vegas, which is you're probably thinking, what is the team that has been bet to win the national championship the most? You might think it's Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, whatever. No. The team where more dollars has been put on to bet to win the national championship so far is the USC Trojans. That's right. Lincoln Riley gets to LA, the glitz, the glamour, gets some NIL deals, and now all of a sudden more money has been put on them to win the national championship than any other team. Now I think that is ludicrous for a variety of reasons. But Courtney, I, I you know, sometimes you gotta think with your head, not your heart. Do you think there's anything beyond stupidity that has allowed Americans to bet the most money on USC?
2: I think it's the futures market. That people are projecting out that they've gotten, they've taken advantage of the transfer portal, you know, Caleb Williams is coming over with Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma, they have Jordan Addison, who won the Bolitnikoff award last year coming from Pitt, they've done all the things that they needed to do before the season even started to set themselves up for success on paper. And this is all before Lincoln Riley like, actually got boots on the ground doing recruiting the whole nine yards to actually build a program and then field that team during spring practices and then training camp two-a-days. Now we're at a point where we're looking at USC where their title odds for this season improved from 40-1, to 25-1, which is just nuts to think about when they haven't even played a game. This is all going off of people's projection of what USC is going to be and probably taking advantage of a weaker Pac-12 conference that, remember, they do still play there. They're not in the Big Ten just yet. I think it's based on all of that, and it's surprising, though, to me because— Georgia just won a national championship. Stetson Bennett was one of the greatest stories in sports last year. And yes, this defense for the Bulldogs lost a ton of pieces to the NFL draft. I believe four first-round picks. That's insane. But they're still really good. And they get no credit and no respect for where they're going to be project for where they're projected currently this season it's just wild to me. It's almost like USC hasn't done anything yet and they're getting all the credit for it via what people are expecting at the sports book.
1: They are over they were overvalued at 40 to 1. At 25 to 1 it's ludicrous absolutely ludicrous if you want to let me just say if you want to bet usc 25 to 1 just put your money in an envelope and send it to me i'll do something better for it i'll put you in the market at least the good parts of the stocks i'll stay away from all uh bitcoin you need to like have somebody work on your finances if you're putting i mean usc is like the Cowboys. They're always overvalued to begin with, even before anything. But then to start at 40 to 1, which were sucker odds, and it gets bet down to 25 to 1, makes me think that people believe Lincoln Riley somehow has like a magic potion. And I know Lincoln Riley, like he walks in, he's like, oh, the glitz, glamour. But what did he even do in Oklahoma that was so wonderful? Like it was, there was something that I
2: missed at Oklahoma that occurred. Now, Probably all the Heisman winners and people are going off that's of the nice, projection, which, again, that it, didn't lead to a national championship. Yeah,
1: and that's what I'm trying to bet on, not the Heisman winners. And so, you know, could you, do I think USC with Lincoln Riley when they join the Big Ten is a sleeping giant? Yes, I do. But this year, look, Alabama is loaded. Ohio State is loaded. Georgia is right below them. I would take every dollar I had and say it's going to be one of those three teams. I know that's boring, Courtney, but it's also correct.
2: You brought up a good point about USC in comparison to the Cowboys, both of which have stake claimed as, as America's team, right? Um, probably the Cowboys more so, but in college football, USC is still a brand that holds strong, even though they haven't done anything since, what, the 2011 season was the last time that they had a good team. They were 4-8 and eight last year. Like yes. They fired their head coach early in the season and then lost six of their last seven games people are projecting this out with hope which i don't know if that's the right i'm not i'm not a better so like i don't know maybe that's the wrong way to go never about never bet like, on hope ever. never <laughs> bet on projections never <laughs> bet on like belief um bet where the i guess you know follow the money but if the money's telling you that usc is i don't know isn't that technically following no. the money
1: it's stupid money it, it, the, the money all right so here's the thing for those of you playing at home the folks that gamble when you want to see a line that matters, Joe Fortenbaugh talks about this a lot on here. When, when, when odds come out, if it moves quickly, that's the smart money. And then the day before the game, if it moves, that's smart money. This is the epitome of stupid money. When like in July, it moves from 40 to 1 to 25 to 1. That's people being dumb. And USC, like the Cowboys, like the Lakers, they are dumb people money. And so I'm fine with it. But if you bet on, I'm telling you, if you bet on USC to win the title, you really have to hire somebody to help you with your daily wares. Because you are not, I don't think should be allowed to control your own finances.
2: It's a team that hasn't been relevant for the college football playoff in a very long time. But they haven't been something... relevant for the Pac-10 or Pac-12 in a long time. No, I don't disagree. And, I mean, they they need a lot of help, which I think is why they, they partnered up with with UCLA and were like, hey, we're out of here. This conference is not going to help us reach our ceiling. We can't even, like, swipe at it where we're at right now because the powers that be are all on the other side of the country. They're in the SEC, they're currently in the Midwest in the Big Ten, and USC doesn't have a shot. They're on the outside looking in. Sure, they're a national brand, and they have great rivalry games, like with Notre Dame every single year, but does that determine who's going to the national championship? Not in the slightest. People are projecting this out based on the transfer portal, and I know that people get excited about movement in college football because we've never seen it at the rate that it is currently but just because they've got a quarterback that played under Lincoln Riley or you know was his recruit at Oklahoma and just because they have a really good wide receiver those are pieces of the team until we actually see how the team takes shape what the new scheme looks like what the whole new look USC Trojans are i feel like this is probably a risky bet to make and granted i wouldn't be betting this anyways but 25 to 1 odds And now seeing those numbers, I can understand what would entice some people to try to jump on that before they become even higher.
1: They'll lose by two touchdowns to Utah. That's the end of my (laughs) thoughts on it. Candy and Carlin is presented by Progressive Insurance. Now, Courtney believes the SEC should want Miami. I don't. But a former Gator who's right there in the state has some strong thoughts. That's next here on Candy and Carlin on ESPN Radio. Did you miss Canty and Carlin? It is Canty and Carlin here on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm Matt Jones. She is Courtney Cronin. Chris Doring is our good friend. He promised us he would be on these airwaves, but he's probably taken some big call from some important coach, so he doesn't have time for little old Matt and Courtney. But, Chris, if you're out there, we miss you already because I wanted to hear your voice, even though he had a very sad moment in my childhood, Courtney, when he caught a pass in the end zone in Lexington, Kentucky, for the Florida Gators to beat the Kentucky Wildcats, and I've held a grudge on him since 1993.
2: I've heard that you uh, might have had some choice words for him in that moment. Weren't you close to where the catch was? I was
1: right next to – I was in the end zone where he caught it, and I yelled at him, and I I may have said some things that would have not made my family happy, but he deserved it. Yeah, that's what I said. I said, hell no. He said that in a nice way. And he deserved it. And then he went on to have superstardom, and I remained a Kentucky football fan, which was a sad existence for a long time, unfortunately. But Kentucky is in the SEC, Courtney, and everybody wants to be in the SEC now. If you're not in the SEC or you're not in the Big Ten, you're out. You are. You're out. I mean, like, really, when all the musical chairs are gone, you're out. I think – that you're going to end up with 20 teams in the SEC, 20 teams in the Big Ten, and then some version of a conference that has the other teams, and that they're going to be second tier in that respect. Do you agree that that is where this is ultimately
2: headed? 100%. We're going to be looking at 20-team super conferences and whether that third super conference will emerge, whether it's the ACC, the Pac-12, the Big 12, or some combination of of the two – I guess that kind of leads us down the path towards what everybody is saying here is going to be the cast system. I know Nick Saban referred to it as that today. Um, I don't disagree with him in terms of the haves and the have-nots, but... It's, uh, it's interesting where this thing is headed, but I agree with you. It's going to be 20 teams minimum in each of those conferences.
1: Well, Chris Dorian is now here. I guess he got off the phone with whoever was, to, was more important than us and decided to come on from the SEC Network. Chris, I'm glad you told the other people you had to go because I want your take. 20-team SEC, 20-team Big Ten, and then whoever's left does whatever. Is that where this is going to go?
4: Well, first and foremost, Matt, you know I would get off at any time with the phone, dude, be on with you, man. You're my guy. I didn't even know anything about this, so I apologize, but I'm happy to to talk uh, any SEC-related topics. And and certainly, you know, I think one of the things that makes the SEC so great is the passion of the fan base and the connection to its past. Tradition means so much. Um, And I I think that's what I worry about the most is with this ever-changing landscape of college football, it doesn't really even resemble a lot of, of, of what you know, all of us fell in love with when it, when it became uh, so important in our our lives as SEC fans. So I, I um, you look at Oklahoma and Texas coming into the conference, and I asked Commissioner Sankey about that yesterday. You know, I know he loves the part with the, the contiguous footprint, uh, being able to, to stay somewhat regional. Um, I love the fact that he, he mentioned some of the rivalries that were in existence from back in the, uh, the Big Eight days and, and renewing some of those. Um, uh, so I'm interested to see if we do have, you know, four additional teams come. Which I agree. I think it's uh, inevitable. I think we're talking about super conferences for a long time, and we're we're inching that way ever ever quicker. But uh, I do think that um, I, I worry about the overall uh, dynamic of college football in general. When you have USC and UCLA playing in the Big Ten, uh, we're talking about. You know no existing real rivalries with those two schools and anybody else in the conference you're talking about you know those Southern California teams having to play games in Ann Arbor and Columbus in in November potentially it's just none of it sounds very good to me so I, I hope there's a way that with the continuing changes that we can keep uh, the traditions of the past intact as much as possible and, and renew and create new rivalries that that help make the game as, as fun as it' always been for us.
2: College football realignment seems to be all that we're talking about at SEC media days and then previously at Big 12 media days. But down in the SEC, there's a national champion that deserves to still be talked about as much as we're talking about NIL and everything else too. Um, Kirby Smart, Georgia head coach, going to speak tomorrow. Does he finally announce what quarterback he's leaning towards going into the season?
4: You know what's amazing about the whole Stetson Bennett story, like literally, I was at dinner last night with some of our other media members here from ESPN and SiriusXM, and we're at this Italian place in Buckhead, and in walks Stetson Bennett with three other people, and nobody even turned their head. It was like, I, you know, this this guy just helped them win their first championship in over forty years, and. I, I, either people don't recognize him or the ones in attendance last night didn't care or a combination of both. But uh, the the disrespect and the overlooking that continues to take place despite what, what uh, Seth and Bennett's been able to do for the, the school that he grew up cheering for is, is just crazy. I think it's a, a great story. And I can speak from the, the firsthand perspective of being a walk-on uh, as I was a Gator fan my whole life, dreamt of playing for the Gators and had that opportunity. I can tell you, it meant a lot more to me when I actually got that scholarship from Florida after walking on when I got a chance to play and contribute um, because of what it meant to me as a kid and how invested I was emotionally. And I never allowed myself to become complacent or satisfied because of, of what it took to kind of earn the respect as a walk. And I feel like Stetson Bennett's kind of that, that same way. And um, you know, I, I think, I think Kirby's been very adamant about Stetson being his guy, and uh, I I think it'll continue to be that way, but I think there will be a lot of people in the media and a lot of people in that Georgia fan base that look at the the measurables and look at the the recruiting rankings and and feel like there's something better out there. But uh, I think the more interesting dynamic to me this year is with the defense losing so much production from last year, do they have to be a little more aggressive on offense? Do they have to depend on the, the passing game a little bit more? It looked like that was the case during the spring, And if they do that, does that fit Stetson Bennett's game to be able to to carry the load a little bit more with his arm?
1: So the smart money, Chris, is on Alabama and Georgia in the SEC championship. But there are fan bases in the East and the West that think they could disrupt the party. I'd say in the East, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Florida all think that. In the West, probably Texas A&M and Arkansas fan bases think that. Which one of the East and which one in the West would it shock you the least to see knock down the powers and end up in that SEC championship game?
4: well, let let's let's say this first and foremost. I think the West is the deepest and most talented division in the history of college football division since kind of breaking up back in there in ninety two. Um, top to bottom, they've elevated the game from the bottom up. I think Mississippi State takes a big step forward this year. Uh, having a, a veteran quarterback like Will Rogers and the offense kind of hitting its stride the second half of the season combined with, with what uh, Zach Arnett's done defensively has me optimistic that they could be a big mover this year from where they were last year to this year. But I've gone on record multiple times the last couple of days. I'm not pandering to the host here. I think Kentucky's the third-best team in the league heading into yes, this season.
0: listen to that. With, Ken-
4: <laughs> with, with Kentucky having been in ball games. Where they've been in meaningful situations late into the season, a couple games over the last few seasons with Kentucky or with Kentucky and Georgia playing one another. Sometimes it takes being in that situation, failing, and learning from those failures to know how to handle it a little bit better. I, you asked me the question: Who would I be the least surprised about? Kentucky beating Georgia and getting to that SEC championship game would not surprise me because of how close they've been able to be. I know the score, maybe not reflects how competitive it was last year but I, I do believe that um, that Kentucky is poised to get that that first trip to Atlanta at some point may not be this season but I think they they're they're getting closer and closer to it and I, I really respect the job that coach Stoops has done there
1: Courtney I told you Chris Dorian I've always liked him since I was a little kid so smart so intelligent <laughs> he always has great takes always been a big fan Chris thank you very much and uh, we appreciate your
4: time thank you guys man take care bye- bye
1: Canty and Carl is presented by Progressive Insurance, and I'll tell you what is not pro- progressive, the amount of times we talk about Dak Prescott. But we are going to talk about him again because Chris Canty thinks he's overrated. Is he that overrated? We will decide next here on Canty and Carlin.
0: Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. Did you miss Canty and Carlin?
1: It is Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, presented by our good friends at Progressive Insurance. Shout out to those wonderful people. Courtney Cronin is she. I am Matt Jones, and we are here ready to talk a little two-a-days. It is time to do the Cowboys. As you know, if you listen to ESPN Radio, two-a-days, we take two teams and get you ready for the NFL season. And we have a thing on this show. I didn't know about it, but I've been told, and I like to follow directions. And it is called SWOT, S-W-O-T, or is it SWOT? Whatever it is, it's very important. SWOT, and that's where for these teams we will identify the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities, and the threats, hence SWOT. So I will give the expert Courtney Cronin. She works for ESPN as an NFL reporter. She does the Bears, but she knows all these teams. I'm going to give you the word. You're going to tell me what applies to the Cowboys. So, Courtney, when I say the Cowboys' strengths, what is the Cowboys' biggest strength?
2: Amari Cooper and Cedric Wilson Jr. might not be on the roster anymore, Matt. And so when I say that the Dallas Cowboys' weapons are their strengths, I know some people might try to look at me sideways. And I understand it because of what what this team did in free agency, what they didn't necessarily do in free agency. But I still think that, A wide receiver core that has CeeDee Lamb, who's one of the best young wide receivers in the game. They just spent a third-round pick on Jalen Tolbert. I'm really excited to see what he looks like. Michael Gallup's still in the mix there. And then you couple all of those things with Dalton Schultz, who just signed the, I believe it's uh, his tender, when he was franchise tagged. He just got on
1: tender. Is that what you said?
2: Tender. Franchise tag tender. Um, And then Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. I mean, Zeke may not be the Zeke of old, but they're still a pretty solid one-two. To punch in the backfield. I think that these weapons are pretty darn good. I don't know why everybody's overlooking them. To me, what Dak Prescott has around him is the strength of this team.
1: It's certainly plenty good enough, and so they should be able to have success with that group. I like that. So if that's their strength, then I guess inevitably you have to ask, what's the Cowboys' weakness?
2: Whew, where do you want to start? They've got a lot of holes. on um, For a team that like most are projecting to win the NFC East – They have a lot of holes on their roster, like whether it's wide receiver depth, not necessarily starters, but depth could be one of them. I also think that their run defense was so bad last year and the interior of the defensive line is just not very good. Like some of the recent acquisitions that they made haven't really worked out. Like Neville Gallimore, um, you know, just kind of flashed ability here and there. It's not, you know, a true game-changing force. Interior of, the, interior of the defensive line has been an issue for this team until they somehow fix it, maybe address it a little bit more next free agency. I think that that's probably still going to be a pretty big glaring weakness for this Dallas Cowboys defense.
1: I happened to be in Dallas last year when they played the 49ers in the playoff game, and I was sitting at a sports bar watching it, and there was a Cowboys fan sitting next to me. And after the 49ers had run for another 10 yards, he looked at me and said, Your grandma, assuming she's alive, could run on this Cowboys defense. Now, my grandma's nickname when she played basketball when she was a kid was legs, but I didn't think that was a good sign. And if that's what they think and that's what Courtney thinks, then I agree that it is a weakness. What about the opportunity? What opportunity does the Cowboys have?
2: Well, I mean, this is a defense last year that led the league in takeaways. Now, I don't think anybody's expecting Trayvon Diggs to have as many interceptions as he did last year, setting records left and right, or going crazy early last season comparing him to Deion Sanders. There was a lot of rhetoric that got a little nuts around the Dallas Cowboys last year, but it's America's team that happens every year, Matt. I think the str- the opportunity for this defense to pick up where they left off last year is in a really good spot. You still have Micah Parsons on this team, who was one of the best young defenders in the game. You've got Malik Hooker, J. Ron Kerr, Stravon Diggs. Like, that's a really solid secondary. I think that they're going to be fine. I don't know if they're going to top, what is it? 35 takeaways that they had last year, and Trayvon Diggs reaching the interception heights that he did. But to me, this defense will be predicated still off being very stingy, forcing turnovers, and playing the takeaway game to their advantage. So to me, that's the opportunity for Dallas if things don't necessarily work out on the offensive side of the ball. Dak Prescott still has a ton to prove, so might be leaning pretty heavily on the defense if things don't turn out so well early on.
1: History has shown us that when a team is really, really good or really, really bad at takeaways, it evens itself out the next year. That tends to kind of be how it works out. I kind of agree with you, though. They, they won't hit 35 again, but I do think that is a strength of their team. They do seem opportunistic in being able to get takeaways. So, finally, that leaves. If it's going to play SWOT, then the only thing left is a threat.
2: What's the threat? I think the threat is the Philadelphia Eagles. They're a sleeping giant in the NFC East. They went and retooled their like weapons this season for uh, Jalen Hurts to try to make take that next step. They just traded you know, for A.J. Brown in the offseason. They have arguably the fastest trio of receivers you know, next to Miami out there. They're, they're, they did a good job this offseason. They've got a balanced team. They've got a running game. So when you look around the NFC East, no, I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk for the Dallas Cowboys to claim that title again. Philly's, Philly's right there in the corner. They're on the cusp of re- being really good. I don't know what Washington's going to be because I don't know what Carson Wentz is going to look like in this new offense with his last opportunity to be a starter. So unless their defense comes alive, they're still a giant question mark to me. The Giants are awful and they're irrelevant, so they're at the bottom of my list. But I think Philly could really threaten this team for the East title because sometimes it takes nine wins to get there, and that's not very hard.
1: Yeah. No, especially in that division. It is open, I think, this year in a way it hasn't been in the last couple. Well, just so you know, the Eagles, who are the threat, according to Courtney, they're the other team we're doing today in two a day. So if you stick around to the next hour, and of course you're going to, because what else do you have to do? We will give you their SWAT. They're now telling me it's pronounced SWAT. I don't know if I believe that. But in their SWAT, SWAT, we will analysis. give you – SWAT
2: analysis. Have you not heard of that before? you never done a SWAT analysis?
1: All I know is that if I were to see the word SWOT and I were to actually pronounce it as it was, that's not how you say that word. Yeah, that's right. SWOT, though, is coming up in just an hour. But before then, one of these players retired during the offseason, but their girlfriend came out and said, they're coming back soon. That's next. Yo, check this out from Canty and Carlin. Candy and Carlin here on ESPN Radio. I heard some news today, Courtney, and when I heard it, it was the least surprising thing I'd ever heard. That was that uh, Rob Gronkowski's girlfriend, who I believe is named Camille something. Kostak. Look at you knowing, the, knowing that. Well done. Camille Kostak said in an interview that she believes Gronkowski's not done playing football. Now, I believe the same thing. The only person that has retired and come back more than Gronkowski is Rick Flair, who also is coming back again for a match. But I think that having the girlfriend says it, say it, makes it even more true. But here's my question. Do you think Camille crossed the line in giving that info to the public? I would not want my girlfriend giving that out. I would want that to stay between us. Do you think she crossed the line in telling his future?
2: No, because his agent was saying it earlier this offseason. Drew Rosenhaus is like, no, I don't think he's going to stay retired. That if a call from Tom Brady comes in, that might be enough to get Rob Gronkowski out of retirement. Obviously, this is you should read this with a raised eyebrow because this is coming from someone very close to Rob Gronkowski. And her direct quote was that I didn't feel like this one is a forever one. So, her saying that, in knowing Rob Gronkowski the way she that she that probably about, does,
1: was she saying that about his retirement or their the retirement, relationship? I believe
2: <laughs> I, I would believe it was about the retirement. I don't think anything okay. here was. Um, she said like that. There, she's not sure that fans have seen the last of him, and I agree as much as. This is always going to be brought up to him until he either like doesn't come back this season, and then we can kind of put it to bed and be like, okay, he can actually stay retired, or until he changes his mind. I believe that it was somewhere outside of Boston. I know that he had a boat behind him where he was interviewed last week, wearing his cool sunglasses, and he was asked about retirement. He'd say, no, I'm enjoying my life right now. You know, it would be a lot for him. I think to want to step away from that. He doesn't want to go to training camp, Matt. He doesn't want to go and wage through the early part of the season considering this guy had a punctured lung last year. He's dealt with some injuries the last few years. I think it would take until basically the cutoff point for him to join the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to help Brady win a Super Bowl, and it would also probably take some begging.
1: Isn't it weird that he gets to do this? Like, he's the only player that gets to go, you know what? Yeah, training camp. Who needs it? Those first few games, eh, whatever. Future like Hall of Famer. I know, but no other player does that. And yet, when he does it, not only is it okay, like we all are just like, yeah, you know, Gronk's being Gronk. He takes off half the year. It's just funny. I don't think there's anybody else in sports that can get away with what Gronk gets away with. But if he can do it, I salute him and I hope he does it. More here in 10 seconds on Candy and Carlin. Woo! <gasps> This is ESPN Radio's NFL tour days the Dallas Cowboys.
0: Dak Prescott, is this guy good? Is he really good? Or is he one of those five or six guys that can completely carry our football team? I think this is really the season that we start to kind of get that answer.
2: Inconsistent production from Cooper, declining target share, and, and most importantly for Dallas, an area where they have a ton of depth. CeeDee Lamb is their number one wide receiver.
4: McCarthy, he did struggle last year. I think everybody kind of views him as coaching for his job. Anything short of a Super Bowl is un- Unacceptable for them at
1: this point. I heard a voice there. I recognize that was Courtney Cronin, who is with me here, Matt Jones on Canty and Carlin. We are now happy to be joined on the phone by Danny White. He is a former Cowboys quarterback, and he does their radio broadcast as well. And, Danny, I want you – the normal host of this show is Chris, Chris Canty, and he had strong words today, and I don't even want to try to paraphrase him. I want you to hear him and you to respond. He was on Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max on June 23rd, which is not today, but which is within a month, and he said that nobody has done less with more than Dak Prescott. Has any
3: quarterback done less with more? think about the supporting cast that Dak Prescott has come into every, pretty much every season Especially that he's last had last year I mean Ezekiel Elliott rushing Especially champ Amari Cooper CD Lamb I mean, you name Michael it. Michael Gallup. One of, the, one of the best offensive lines that we've seen in the last two decades in the National Football League. Last year, you had a player on the defensive side of the ball that was in the conversation for Defensive Player of the Year. He might be the best defensive player coming into 2022. Kirk Cousins. That being Micah Parsons. But, but, All I'm simply saying is, for the $40 million that Jerry Jones paid him <laughs> every single year, like $40 million average annual value for a guy that was considered once upon a time to be a top-10 quarterback, why don't we have more from Dak Prescott when it matters the yeah, most? It's a Let hell me, of a point. Only one playoff win. Come on, bro. No, no, I, we, I, we sitting here waiting on you. Now you, you don't have any excuse as to why you can't get it done. All right, Danny. You hear that?
1: What's your response? Do, do,
5: do I do I get to talk now? Go for it, Danny. I'm I'm ready for you. <laughs> hey, I'm messing with you. Um, you you know the the, the Cowboys um have, have not been one of the favorites of the football gods. Let me put it that way. You know, normally you try to the the, the way the salary cap is set up, the way the draft is set up, um you, you try to have built build a great team while you've got your highest paid players in the early years of their contract. Uh, Dak and Zeke and Amari um and they spend that money on guys at other positions um, to build that team around them. The Cowboys have got it just exactly backwards. Um, now they've got Dak and Zeke in the, in the big money years of their contracts, and there's not a lot of money left to, to build a team around them. Um, so that being said... Uh, that's not really much of an answer to your question, and uh, so let me, let me get to that. I think I think Dak checks all the boxes. You know, if you're if you're grading him on a one to ten, he's a great leader, great in the locker room. Players respond to him. He makes um, good decisions. If if there was one issue I would have with him that where he's not a ten, it's it's in throwing accuracy, and there have been times. In the past, when he's had, he's missed throws um, in, in big situations. That, that's the only rap I have on him. And you know what? That's something he'll get better at. Losing weight is going to help him. He's not going to have to deal with those big hips and those big shoulders uh, to try to get out of the way when he throws to his left. Um, you know, there, there's some little things in there, ticky tacky things. But you know what? I'm, I'm a Dak fan. I really am. And I think um, b- based on what he has had and all he's had to deal with, with the injury, um, I think I think he's done pretty well. And I think he is deserving uh, of the big contract. The question now is, will he live up to it? And that's, you know, you guys and I can sit here in the offseason and talk all we want to about, uh about whether they should have or shouldn't have the great thing about football is sooner or later you have to play the game you have to step on the field and prove that you're worth it and i i've got to say to this point he he probably has not been worth it looking at the number of playoff games they've had and if that's how you judge a quarterback and i don't but most people do um he's he's probably not it's not been a good investment but Let's 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 give him a chance to prove us wrong, and um, that's that's the underlying factor as far as I'm concerned is um, let's let's just wait and see let's let's give him a chance um, to prove that he's worth it. Now he's not going to have the big play. He's not going to have Amari. He's not going to have you know some of those guys around him. Um, we'll see.
2: Danny All White, former, former Cowboys quarterback, Cowboys radio analyst, joining Courtney Cronin and Matt Jones on Canty and Carlin. You lead me right into that, and we've got about a minute left here. What do you think of the idea that the Cowboys' weapons are not as dynamic as they were last year? That's what Tony Romo said. What are your thoughts when, when you hear that?
5: Well, the, the weapon is Amari Cooper, but Amari Cooper has $60 million in the bank. How how motivated is he to get that extra yard, put his head down, going over the middle, you know, and make a big play? Um, that's one of the things that I look at that not many people do, um, is how much – what kind of a guarantee do they have and what's the guarantee based on, and are they motivated to go out and make big plays? Um, the, the the guy that I'm the most concerned about is Tyron Smith, more than anybody else on that team. Um, He's got money in the bank, and he's beat up, and he's in the waning years of his career. So um, uh, I'm, I'm concerned about the offensive line. Speaking of money in the bank, nobody is
1: more popular in the Dallas area than our guy Danny White. Every time I go there, I see your face everywhere. Danny, thank you very much for your time. Hey, you're welcome, guys. Thanks for having me on. There you go. Danny White, uh, I remember him from back in the day. He's one of the first quarterbacks I can remember getting out there. You know, he, he he it was interesting. He he said that he doesn't necessarily think Dax earned his money yet. That's kind of a strong statement for a guy who calls cowboy games every week. But, Are he's, we su- but
2: he's right. Like think about that wild card game last year. Everybody's memory is still on repeat of him not. St- giving the ball back to the officials so he could you know, get it snapped properly and yeah. thinking about just the meltdown that that team had when the expectations for the Dallas Cowboys were sky-high last year. Even after starting out the season with the loss to Tampa Bay, everyone was still high on this team. This offense was supposed to be the most high-octane offense in the NFL, and it, and it fell short of that. So I completely understand and agree with what Danny White was saying because they paid Dak Prescott – A boatload of money, and they have, what, one playoff win to to account for it throughout his career? That's not worth it. Here's the problem.
1: Here's the problem. When you pay your quarterback more than 11% of the salary cap in the last 11 years, only two people have won a Super Bowl, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. That's it. So if they're not Tom Brady or Peyton Manning level, then paying them that much money doesn't make sense. And is Dak that level? I think the answer to that question, Courtney, is obviously no. And that is ultimately the problem. He takes up so much of the salary cap. Is he better than most quarterbacks? Yes. But is he on the level that he can take up that much money and you can still win? I don't know that he is. Now, we'll do much more on that and some college football. There's a lot going on here with Courtney Cronin and me, Matt Jones. That's next here on Kenny and Carlin on ESPN.